covering sports in the Midwest, it's the Midwest Sports Network, MWSN.net. It's episode 205 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and there's a big episode waiting for you. First up, some big news at the University of Dayton Arena, and we cover the first weekend of high school hockey playoffs in Ohio. It's time for the Horizon League Tournament, plus more updates on the local college teams. Also, spring sports are here as college baseball is back. We talk about a former guest next event. We talk about the 2021 schedule and that new USL League 2 team in Cincinnati. And we wrap things up with the 2021 schedule for the Dayton flight. It's not on Dayton Radio. It's on the local Sunday Sports Podcast, episode 205. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly audio podcast that covers all sports in Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio, and covers areas from Norfolk, Kentucky, and the Ohio River up to Lima and Allen County. From Richmond, Indiana and the surrounding Whitewater Valley region to Madison County and surrounding areas. If you want local sports, this is your source. To find your favorite way of listening to this podcast, as well as visiting the Tee Public and Redbubble shops and find the latest episodes, please visit SindayPod.com. This opening theme was created with the Splash app. It's time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. Good board for episode 205 here on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. There's little time to waste. We got a lot to talk about. First up, the University of Dayton Arena. You might know it. It's a wonderful building for college hoops. But did you know once upon a time, it held the Ohio High School Athletic Association's basketball finals. That's right. And for the first time since 1987, UD Arena will be hosting the basketball state tournaments. Approved variance requests will allow UD Arena to host the girls March 11th through 13th and the boys March 19th through the 21st. Man, that still feels like it's a long ways away, doesn't it? But trust me, you blink your eye and bam, we're already talking about basketball finals. So this was uploaded a couple days ago. So it's not like two weeks ago when it was introduced. And I believe Mike Dyer, the sports editor for WCPO, who does a great job with Cincinnati high school sports scene, mentioned that this will be the first time since 87 that UD Arena gets the tournament finals. Just think about that, 1987. It's been such a long time. And I know you want to keep it more centralized, get to Columbus, but uh, UD Arena, it's a pretty awesome place to play basketball. So the article on OHSAA.org talks about it. As the OHSAA and University of Dayton have announced, the upcoming OHSAA Girls and Boys Basketball State Tournaments will be held at UD Arena in March after the Ohio Department of Health and Public Health. The first one was private health, I guess. Dayton and Montgomery County, oh, public health of Dayton and Montgomery County, excuse me, approved a variance to allow a greater number of fans at each game. And hopefully we'll talk about that as the episode rolls along. 
I mentioned the girls' state tournament will be held Thursday, March 11th through Saturday, March 13th, while the boys' state tournament will be held Friday, March 19th through Sunday, March 21st. For both state tournaments, the semifinals will be 11 a.m., 2 p.m., 5 p.m., and 8 p.m. And the championship games will tip off at 10.45 a.m., 2 p.m., 5.15 p.m., and 8.30 p.m. The divisional order of play this year is Division 4, 3, 2, 1. And Spectrum News 1 will televise the championship games while the semifinals will be streamed live through OHSAA.tv. And there's a couple quotes saying how excited everyone is getting UD Arena to host the finals. Scott DeBolt, the University of Dayton Senior Associate Athletics Director and Executive Director of UD Arena, said, We thank the Ohio Department of Health and Public Health, Dayton Montgomery County, for working with us to provide high school students with the opportunity to play here at UD Arena. The state tournament is an experience that the players, coaches, and fans will remember for the rest of their lives, and we are proud to be able to host these great events this year. Last May, the OHSAA announced that UD would host the Girls Basketball State Tournament's in 2021, 2022, and 2023, but the COVID-19 pandemic put the location of this year's state tournament in question because of spectator limitations and costs associated with the tournament. The 2021 Boys Basketball State Tournament was scheduled to be held at St. John Arena at that school in Columbus, but that facility is not available due to the pandemic. So, excellent. UD Arena gets to host the semis and finals of both tournaments from Division 4 on to Division 1. But that's not even all the news about UD Arena. Normally, for the Atlantic 10 Men's Basketball Tournament, it's held, they were having at Barclays Center in Brooklyn. I think they might have moved back to Atlantic City right before the coronavirus struck. Well, this year, it's a little bit different. The championship will be held at the University of Dayton Arena, Sunday, March 14th at 1 p.m. It'll be on CBS Sports Network, and depending on who makes it, those radio stations that cover the teams. Now, before that, VCU and Richmond split duties of hosting, first round, second round, quarterfinals, and semifinals. And that Wednesday, March 3rd, which is next week, it'll be held at the Siegel Center at VCU. And then Thursday, March 4th, the second round takes place at the Siegel Center and at the Robbins Center. Friday, March 5th, in the quarterfinals back at the Robbins Center and Siegel Center. Semifinals happen Saturday, March 6th at the Siegel Center. And then the winner of those semis get to wait about a week and a day to play at the University of Dayton Arena. So there you have it. OHSAA. Finals in the tournaments, all four divisions, plus the men's basketball tournament. Now, I can't tell you the last time the A-10 held the men's basketball tournament at the University of Dayton Arena, but I can tell you about the women's. That was last year. That was a lot of fun. Dayton Flyers got to hoist the trophy at their own place right before coronavirus shut everything down. So, big news for the University of Dayton Arena. Well-deserved. It's a beautiful facility the renovation job is spectacular and i mean it, it feels modern without touching what makes university dayton arena great so definitely well-deserved honors for ud arena
playoffs. We got an update for you in the Columbus District bracket. There are two local teams still alive. We got the Talawanda Brave and the Muller Fighting Crusaders. But how did those teams get to the second weekend of playoffs? Let's begin. So in ice hockey, you have a weekend. Normally, if you don't get a first round bye, you have a weekend to play two games. If you win those two games, you move on to the second weekend. And it kind of goes to that format until you reach the state title game. So in ice hockey, everyone makes it into the playoffs. In fact, the only sport where teams don't make it are football. You have to be in the top 12, and I think they're trying to get to the top 16 for next season. But everyone gets in, unless you opt out, of course. So let's tell you about that first weekend, starting on February 19th. The first game features the Sycamore Aviators out of Cincinnati, the 23rd seeded Aves, and they fell short to number 12 New Albany and the Eagles, 8-1. That set up New Albany for their next game, but we're going to stick with the first-round games first. Thomas Worthington, the Cardinals, the 8 seeded Thomas Worthington Cardinals, they gave St. Charles a nice fight in the Blue Jackets Cup. And they hand St. Francis de Sales, the 22nd-seeded Stallions, an 11-1 loss. And the bottom of the bracket, it's the Battle of Dublin as Jerome takes on Sayota. And it's the number 9 Celtics defeating the number 25 Irish, 14-1. We move further on to the bracket, St. X and the Bombers, the 10th-seeded St. Xavier Bombers. They knock off their Cincinnati foe and Mason in the Comets, the 21st-seeded Comets, 8 to nothing. Oxford Talawanda would not play on the first day of the playoffs. We'll come back to the Brave. We got Dublin Kaufman, the 11th seeded Rocks, taking on the 24th seeded Troy Trojans. And it was Dublin Kaufman defeating Troy 9 1. We have the 18th seeded Kettering Archbishop Alter Knights, good squad around here in the Dayton area. They came up just a bit short against number 19 Columbus Academy and the Vikings 4 3. We have our first overtime game of the ice hockey playoffs in the Columbus District. The 16-seeded Beaver Creek Beavers were edged by the 13-seeded Olentangy Braves 3-2. The 14-seeded Springboro Panthers, they fell to number 15 Bishop Watterson and the Eagles 4-1, ending Springboro's season. Now we move on to the second day of the first weekend of the playoffs. Mentioned New Albany defeated Sycamore. Well, the Eagles, the 12-seeded Eagles, could not get by the top-seeded Cardinals of St. Charles. 5-1, to one, St. Charles wins it. And that sets them up with a date with Thomas Worthington. The 8-seeded Cardinals defeat Dublin Jerome. 5-1, to one, 8 defeats 9. A first bye... First round by, rather, for Olentangy Orange, the fifth-seeded Pioneers. They knock off St. Xavier 7-1. And on the other side, Talawanda plays their first playoff game against number 20, Worthington Kilborn and the Wolves. And the Brave take it to the Wolves 11-1. That sets up Olentangy Orange and Talawanda. We'll talk about the next weekend of ice hockey playoffs in a little bit. We got number seven, Olentangy Berlin. They also received a first round bye, and they edged off Dublin Kaufman, the 11th seed of Rocks, 2 to 1. Very close game there. Number two, Upper Arlington, shuts out Columbus Academy, 4 0. Golden Bears advance. And number three, Olentangy Liberty and the Patriots knock off number 13, Olentangy, 8 to 2. 
And then Archbishop Muller has that last first-round bye. They're the six-seeded Crusaders. They shut out Bishop Watterson 9 to nothing. So what does the second weekend of hockey look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. We got a rematch of the Cardinals versus Cardinals back at the Blue Jackets Cup. As number one, St. Charles takes on number eight, Thomas Worthington. That will be on the 27th at two at the Ice House and Nationwide Arena. And whoever wins that battle of the cards, they'll get to take on the winner of Olentangy Orange against Oxford Talawanda. Oxford Talawanda is the highest seed in the battle with the Pioneers and also the highest seeded team in the local area. They'll be back at the Ice House as well. So Talawanda, they take care of Olentangy Orange. They might have a date with top seed St. Charles. And on the bottom side, we got number seven, Olentangy Berlin, squaring off with number two, Upper Arlington, as the Bears and the Golden Bears square off at the Ice House, 6-15 on the 27th. And afterwards, you'll have the battle of Olentangy Liberty and Archbishop Muller. That'll be at 8-15 on the same day, same place. Winner of Olentangy Berlin and Upper Arlington versus Olentangy Liberty and Archbishop Muller will play on the 28th at 4-15 after the first semifinal game at 2-15. Again, that's happening at the Ice House. And the winner of those semifinals play on the 6th at 2 back at the Ice House to determine who's playing in the Frozen Four. So yes, it's hard to imagine how quick ice hockey playoffs go just like that. But it's a lot of fun to watch. And we still have two local teams battling it out, Independent Talawanda and Capital Hockey Conference's Molo Crusaders. Horizon League Tournament Time. Now, because, well, actually, before the coronavirus, I think it was determined that there would be no more Moto City Madness, which I think, you know, not a right idea, but I like it where, you know, you go through the whole thing, you're the top seed, you get to host the whole thing. But then again, I'm old, and I've seen Wright State do that and win back in 2007 against Butler. That was a great atmosphere. But let's talk about the first round of the Horizon League Basketball Championships. As you might know, Wright State in men's basketball got the two-seed and co-champs of the regular season, along with the top-seeded Cleveland State Vikings. And let me tell you about that night. I was actually scheduled to broadcast, what was it, Piqua and Wayne boys basketball playoffs at Centerville. And I got to listen to most of that game. Man, Norfolk, Kentucky didn't make it easy on Wright State, did they? But the Raiders did advance, and they knocked off the Norse to split the series. No team swept Wright State this year. As Cleveland State, they were down at eight at the half to Purdue-Fort Wayne at Purdue-Fort Wayne. But Cleveland State managed to claw back and split that series in Fort Wayne, Indiana as well. So, like I mentioned, they base the seedings on a variety of points. Honestly, I don't mind that Wright State's not the top seed. I mean, Cleveland State, great team, and Wright State's a great team too. But you know what? I'm not entirely mad just because of the fact that, you know, as a top seed, you got a lot more pressure on you. So 
let Wright State win the whole thing. Just take care of business day in, day out. That's my whole thing, but I'm not a coach. I'm a guy with a podcast that can't get on local radio. So I have this podcast. So let's recap the first round. We'll start with the women's basketball side. This just happened yesterday. Your first round results in number seven, Youngstown State, knocking off number 10, Purdue Fort Wayne, 62 59. Close game there, but the Penguins move on. You have number six, Cleveland State, knocking off number 11, UIC, 69 43. Purdue Fort Wayne got the 10th seed. Okay, hold on a second. Yours truly needs to look at the standings before I continue on. And then we have a battle of eight and nine. And number eight, Northern Kentucky gets through number nine, Robert Morris, 68-54. The Mastodons, going back to Youngstown State, Purdue Fort Wayne game. The Mastodons led 52-48 after three quarters. But Youngstown State would outscore the Mastodons 14-7 in the final 10 minutes. And Purdue Fort Wayne only shot 23% in the fourth quarter. That as I spoil it out with my speech impediment, that is called going cold. Let me look at the standings real quick. Purdue Fort Wayne won a game? Wow. I'm a little surprised on the seating. I know Detroit Mercy closed up shop. I'm not surprised about that, but Purdue Fort Wayne's one in nineteen and one in twenty two overall. UIC one in thirteen which, yeah, just the one conference game, a conference win, but 3-16 and 16 overall. I just, who was that win against? Robert Morris at home. Pretty close game there, too. But Purdue-Fort Wayne got the higher seed, but both the Mastons and Flames out of the tournament. We look at the Cleveland State-UIC game. The Vikings rolled across UIC. A quick 15-6 lead for Cleveland State in the first 10 minutes. The Flames did respond in the second with a 14-11 to 11 advantage to trail just by six. A tight third quarter, and then the Vikings took over in the fourth, posting 28 points and just allowing 10 to secure the W. 30 UIC turnovers forced by the Vikings' defense. That's pretty nice. And 26 points off those turnovers. That's not a bad number. And the Vikings now get number three, Green Bay. We'll talk about the bracket in a little bit. But first, number eight, Northern Kentucky, 68. Number nine, Robert Morris, 54. Robert Morris led by one point after the first quarter, but NKU poured 21 points in the second quarter to lead 31-19 at the half. A strong offensive performance as Northern Kentucky shot about 53% from the floor, 27-51. of 51. That's outstanding. Northern Kentucky also had key advantages over the Colonials and rebounds and points in the paint. Rebounds, the Norse out rebounded the Colonials 37-23 and points in the paint 38-24 going the Norse's way. And Northern Kentucky gets to go to Wright State in the quarterfinals. So what's up next as the teams with the bye now get to play? So on Tuesday, March 2nd at 2 p.m., it will be number eight, Northern Kentucky, and number one, Wright State. All these games on ESPN Plus, by the way. So if you pay about five bucks a month, you can watch all these games. Again, number eight, NKU, at number one, Wright State, a team that the Raiders swept in Kentucky. Number five, IUPUI, will travel to number four, Oakland. Number seven, Youngstown State, gets number two, Milwaukee, and Wisconsin. 
And number three, Green Bay welcomes in number six, Cleveland State. I'm a little surprised that Green Bay didn't get a share of the regular season title and seeded third. They swept Wright State at the Nutter Center, and they looked good doing it. And like I said, Phoenix are still strong. I mean, Wright State is a much improved team, and they look dominant. I'm not taking any away from the Raiders, of course. But I think the thing that hurt the Phoenix that early season sweep in the hands of Milwaukee. That's why the Panthers are your two seed. So again, Northern Kentucky at Wright State, IUPUI at Oakland, Youngstown State at Milwaukee, and Cleveland State at Green Bay. Now, whoever wins those games will get to play Monday, March the 8th. Highest remaining seed will take on the lowest remaining seed. So let's say one through four win. Wright State will get Oakland at the Nutter Center. Uh, actually, I don't think it's at the Nutter Center. Excuse me. Wright State will get Oakland, though. And then Green Bay would be at Milwaukee. And then the championship Tuesday, March the 9th at noon on ESPNU. We'll determine who hoists the tournament cup. Will it be the Wright State Raiders, the top seed, led by Coach of the Year Katrina Merriweather? Will it be the Milwaukee Panthers sowing resurgence and looking like the Panther teams of old, led by Sandy Botham? Will it be the Green Bay Phoenix, who are normally the top of the mountain team? Or will it be the Oakland Golden Grizzlies, who've had a very nice year as well? It'll be a lot of fun to watch, but the one game that I'm keeping my eye on, Northern Kentucky, Wright State. That should be a lot of fun. And hey, I've already mentioned it a couple of times. Northern Kentucky Wright State, I feel, is the best rivalry in the Horizon League. Tell that to Cleveland State, Youngstown State, Detroit Mercy, Oakland, Green Bay, Milwaukee. Back in the day, UIC Loyola, Chicago. That's dating how old I am. And IUPUI, Purdue, Fort Wayne, you know, Indiana. So let's talk about the first round roundup of the men's basketball tournament. This happened yesterday as well. And our scores look like this. Detroit Mercy knocks off Robert Morris, 83-73. I was quite surprised. I thought Robert Morris would be a lot more competitive than this. And they're towards the bottom of the standings. But I think the Colonials will bounce back. I don't think this is a long trend at all. Youngstown State extinguishes the Flames, 74-58. A two-overtime affair as Purdue-Fort Wayne defeats Green Bay, 89-84. And Milwaukee defeats IUPUI, 84-72. Let's talk a little bit about the Titans defeating the Colonials. This is the first win in the championship since 2016 for Detroit Mercy. And Tuan Davis put on a show for the ages. I tell you, he's a very impressive player. And I think a pretty favorite candidate to win the player of the year next year. So what did Antone Davis do? Well, 46 points, 10 made threes, 16 of 26 from the floor, 10 of 16 from behind the arc, five assists, and the 13th playing in HL history to surpass 2,000 career points. Yeah, impressive player. Very, very nice player. In fact, whoever gets Detroit Mercy in the playoffs... You better be good at stopping Antoine Davis. Because I don't think there's a lot of teams that can stop Antoine Davis. But we'll see. So for Detroit Mercy, they had Buell Cole at 14 points. Chris Brandon had a double-double, 10 points, 13 boards. And Robert Morris finished the year 4-15 and 3-12. and 
during Horizon League play, their first year in the Horizon League. I still love the addition of Robert Morris. I just wish they had baseball. But, like I said, I don't think the Colonials will be, you know, 3-12 and during Horizon League play again. And then they're like 2-14 and next year. It's like, why did I even say that last year? No, I'm just kidding. I won't remember what I said. Detroit Mercy, with that win, they'll get to travel to Highland Heights, Kentucky, to take on number 4, Northern Kentucky. That'll be a very fun matchup. This will be the first time UDM and NKU square off on the court. In fact, I was thinking about that. Detroit Mercy didn't get to play Wright State this year. I think that got wiped out because of the coronavirus. Now we talk about the Penguins extinguishing the Flames. Second straight season for Youngstown State winning its opening round game. All five Penguin starters finished in double figures. With Michael Akuchi registering a double-double, 16 points, 10 boards. And that's his seventh double-double. If I mispronounced that name, I apologize. Nazbo Hanan. Tally 15 points, 7 of 11 shooting. And Darius Quisenberry, the local Penguin from around here, added 12. And for UIC under the new head coaching staff, 9 and 13 first year, 6 and 10 in Horizon League play. Penguins got UIC to turn the ball over 18 times, turning them into 16 points. And second chance points went the Penguins way 13 to 4. What does Youngstown State get with that win? A trip to number three, Oakland. The Golden Grizzlies will await the Penguins. And this will be the fourth time these teams meet since Oakland joined the Horizon League back in 2013-14. And that's another team that I'm really happy got to go into the Horizon League. Purdue Fort Wayne 89, Green Bay 84 in two overtimes. It's the first overtime game of the tournament since 2016 and the first win by a lower-seeded team in an opening round game since 2017. Jalen Pipkins scored a team-high 21 points for Purdue-Fort Wayne. Clune hit a three-pointer off the glass as time expired to send it to the second overtime frame. Jared Godfrey, a third-team honoree for the Horizon League, finished the game with 18 points, seven boards, and five assists. And Dimitrik Horton, Horton, Added 13 off the bench. The Phoenix went 8-17 and 8-12 and and in Horizon League play. I still don't understand the coaching change that Green Bay had. I thought Link Darner was doing a fine job. Yeah, Green Bay couldn't get to the championship round, but he brought in some talent. I thought Green Bay did a nice job under him. Uh, that's just me, though. Again, I'm not a coach. I'm a guy that talks about games. Now, what does Purdue-Fort Wayne get? Oh, just a trip to Cleveland State, the top seed of Vikings in Cleveland, Ohio. Now remember, Purdue-Fort Wayne did force a split in Fort Wayne, but this is heading to the Wolstein Center, where the Vikings play. Now if Purdue-Fort Wayne can knock off the Vikings at home, that'll be a very big upset. But this is just the first round. Let's talk about Milwaukee knocking off IUPUI 84-72. That's the first win in the championship for Milwaukee since 2018 after earning its fourth win in five tries against the Jaguars this season. 20-point performances from All-HL third team Tejan Lucas with 22 points and DeAndre Golston with 20. Amir Allen had a double-double for MKE with 13 points, 10 boards, and Josh Thomas also had 13 points. IUPUI went 7-9 in HL play, 8-10 overall. And the Panthers 
get to go back to the Nutter Center to take on number two Wright State for Tuesday's quarterfinal matchup. Where the two teams met earlier this season. That was just two weeks ago. I remember listening to that first game. Chris Collins, Jim Brown doing a heck of a job. But I remember that Milwaukee just wouldn't go away. Wright State had long streaks, and then here comes Milwaukee with a long streak. It's a very good Panther squad. And the Raiders have to play perfect to knock off Milwaukee once and for all. So, again, Tuesday, March 2nd, it looks like this. All these games are at ESPN+. Plus. You got number one, Cleveland State hosting number 10, Purdue-Fort Wayne. You got number two, Wright State hosting number eight, Milwaukee. You got number three, Oakland hosting Youngstown State, the six-seeded Penguins. And you got number four, Northern Kentucky hosting number five, Detroit Mercy. So all three Ohio teams still alive. And I guess both Michigan teams are alive too, but hey, we're in Ohio. So again, let's say all four top teams win, Cleveland State, Wright State, Oakland, NKU. The highest remaining seed gets the lowest remaining seed, so that'd be Cleveland State, Northern Kentucky, and then Wright's table get Oakland, which the team split up in Michigan. And then the championship game is Tuesday, March 9th. The semifinals are on ESPNU, then ESPN2, and then the championship game will either be on ESPN or ESPN2. I think if Wright State wins, it'll probably be on ESPN. But I'm not quite sure how that works. But there you go. That's the first round of the Horizon League as college basketball updates roll on after this beat. Talk about the awards given to Wright State basketball. Starting with Loud and Love earning his second consecutive Player of the Year selection in the Horizon League. Now, I saw a few complaints on Twitter about that, saying it should have gone to Antoine Davis or a few other players. Detroit Mercy is playing pretty good as of late. But, no. Mountain Love is definitely the best player in the Horizon League. That puts Loudon Love in rare Horizon League company, just the sixth player in league history. Remember, Horizon League goes back beyond 2001. You know, they were the Midwestern City Conference, then the Midwestern Collegiate Conference. There were a couple of names once upon a time. Sixth player in league history to win two Player of the Year awards, and only the third Horizon League player to garner multiple Player of the Year awards, and also haven't been named to the league's Newcomer of the Year. It's been 20 years since Horizon League players pulled off a back-to-back Player of the Year honors. That was back in the day before Horizon League was named. While Love joins former Xavier Musketeer standout Byron Larkin and current color commentator for the Musketeers, and former Detroit Mercy standout Rashad Phillips on the pedestal with multiple Player of the Year awards and a Newcomer of the Year honor. The only other Wright State player to earn the top individual honor other than Loud Love, Deshaun Wood, following that very successful 20, or excuse me, 2006-2007 season. That was my first year covering Wright State basketball in college. It was a lot of fun. Also with Loud Love's Player of the Year reward, he was recognized on the first team, joined by sophomore Tanner Holden, and Grant Basile, the redshirt sophomore, was a second team selection. Love and Tim Finke, was part of the all-defensive team in the Horizon League. 
Love leads the Raiders in scoring and rebounding, averaging a double-double for the regular season. 16.7 points per game, 10.3 rebounds per game. Recorded double-double, excuse me, double-digit point totals in 22 of 23 games. Yeah, it's pretty dominant, including 14 games with 15 or more and 12 double-doubles on the season, including six of the last seven. 49 double-doubles for Loud Love in his career. 12 double-doubles, tied for fourth most in the NCAA this season. And the rebound average for Loud Love is second in the Horizon League. He's got 12 double-digit rebounding games, including a pair of 16 rebound games. Love has played in 119 career games. By the way, with 89 wins, he is one of the most successful men's basketball players in Wright State history. That's the most ever by a D1 athlete at Wright State, starting back in 87-88. Number three all-time in Wright State history with 1,778 career points and 1,117 career rebounds are most in Wright State basketball history between the men and women and 82nd most in NCAA history. Second in career rebounding among active players. So yeah, those that argue Loud Love shouldn't have got the award, I think you're off your rocker there. Sorry. Normally I don't like insulting, but, you know, I think it's a well-deserved honor. Loud Love is your player of the year. Your coach of the year is Cleveland State's Dennis Gates. I think that's well-deserved. You know, the Vikings last year, they were towards the bottom. Now they're the top seed. Yeah. Also, from what I learned, uh, filling in for the normal PA announcer for Wright State women's basketball, Dennis Gates was responsible for getting the Horizon League teams to start off the pregame with Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is about unity and you know inclusion, which I love. I think that's a really nice job that he did. So hats off to Coach Gates. Marquez Warwick of Northern Kentucky's your freshman year. That's a well-deserved honor. I tell you, he's going to have a great career at NKU. He's going to be tough to stop, too. I think he will get a Player of the Year award before he leaves the Norse. That's, of course, you know, saying he doesn't have any injuries or transfers out. I don't think he'll transfer out, but you never know. Your Defensive Player of the Year goes to Trey Gomillion of Cleveland State, and your Sixth Player of the Year is Matt Johnson of Detroit Mercy. First team results in Tory Patton of CSU and Torin Davis of Detroit Mercy, Jalen Moore of Oakland. There's Tanner Holden, Loud and Love of Wright State. Second team, Grant Basili of Wright State joins Amari Davis of Green Bay, you know, the Trotwood Madison product, who's playing up north instead of a Wright State, but never mind. Marcus Burke of IUPUI, Trevon, Trayvon Faulkner, excuse me, of Northern Kentucky, and Naz Bohannon, Bohannon rather, of Youngstown State. Third team has Buell. Cool of Detroit Mercy, Tejon Lucas of Milwaukee, Marquez Warwick of Northern Kentucky, just the third team. Yeah. Daniel Alando Pohl of Oakland and Jared Godfrey of Purdue Fort Wayne. Your freshman team is Lucas Steber of Green Bay, Warwick of NKU, Micah Parrish of Oakland, Trey Townsend of Oakland, Shamar Rathen Mays of Youngstown State, and your all defensive team along with Tim Finke and Loud Love. Garrett Covington of YSU. You might remember him for knocking off Wright State as the buzzer. Trying to remember if he had the dunk or was that was Cleveland State. I think it was Cleveland State. Yeah, it was Cleveland State. Sorry. Covington, Youngstown State. Deontay Johnson of Cleveland State. Trey Gomillion of Cleveland State. So your all defensive team 
are five from the Ohio schools. Up top. And that's your awards for men's basketball. Women's basketball, I mentioned Katrina Merriweather got the coach of the year. And on a tweet, she thanked everyone that she worked with. I always liked Coach Merriweather. I thought she was class. And I'm glad she's at Wright State. So let's pull up the article. Maybe, maybe not. There we go. I just noticed Wright State's athletic website. It's got a brand new look to it. It's clean. I like it. Lots of green. I mean, if it was any other color, I'd scream. But there you go. Well, other than gold. So your awards for women's basketball. Your player of the year is Macy Williams of IUPUI. A tremendous player for the Jaguars. There's Katrina Merriweather winning the coach of the year. Your freshman of the year is... Nika Obezor of Youngstown State. I believe that's how you say that. Maria White of Cleveland State is your Defensive Player of the Year. And Destiny Leo is your Sixth Player of the Year, also from Cleveland State. First team, it's Junior Guard from Wright State, Angel Baker, joining Maria White of CSU, Macy Williams of IUPUI, Megan Wallstad of Milwaukee, and Clea Dean of Oakland. Second team, Caitlin Hibner of Green Bay, Rachel McLinmore of IUPUI, Brandy Bisping of Milwaukee, Lindsay Duvall of NKU, and Mary Dunn of Youngstown State. Third team is Kayla Webb of Detroit Mercy, Ivy Turner of NKU. There's Tyler Frierson, the senior center for Wright State, which uh, I'm, I'm not here to argue awards, but third team? I don't know. She's a force in the paint, and I like to see anyone that can troll the paint like Frierson does, but Still, nice award to have. Youngstown State finished up the third team. Bizor and Chelsea Olson for the Gwyns. Your freshman team has Imani Jefferson. Man, can she shoot the ball. She is fun to watch for Wright State. You also got Jada McLeod of UIC. Sol Castro of Robert Morris. Destiny Leo of CSU. And Obizor of Youngstown State. I believe that's the third way I've pronounced that. I apologize. Frierson's on the all-defensive team, as she should be. Maria White's there, too. Rachel McLinmore of IUPUI, Megan Wallstad, and Grayson Rose out of NKU. So, Katrina Merriweather, second Coach of the Year honors in three seasons, third time overall, joining her awards in 2016-17 and 2018-19. She recorded her 100th career coaching victory on January 8th, and she also picked up nine more wins heading into the postseason. Then Angel Baker, incredible player. Definitely gets the Raiders going. Great shooter as well. Her dribble is just, it's just unfair. You ever seen Angel Baker dribble and just her footwork? It's outstanding. I, I enjoy watching Angel Baker with Wright State. She's on the first team for the second consecutive season. Tyler Frierson named to the third team. Imani Jefferson, all-freshman team. And Frierson also in the all-defensive team as well. So four awards for the Raiders. And all well-deserved. Now we move on to the Atlantic 10. Not quite time for the tournament. I mentioned the news at UD Arena. But it's time to talk about men's basketball and yes, Flyer fans, we do have to talk about that showing at St. Joseph's. Oh, I was listening to that. And the the Flyers, it, down by three, you're coming back from a big deficit. And then it just goes south. 
inconsistency. It's been the plague on this team. And it's just, it, it's hard to talk about without, you know, I, I don't know how else to mention it. Pull up the box score real quick. 97-84 was that final in favor of St. Joseph's. That was St. Joseph's third win of the year, by the way, improving to 3-14, and and Dayton fell to 12-8. and Yeah, Hawks have been struggling. They've been at the bottom of the table for quite some time. And the Flyers gave up 54 first-half points. 43 in the second. But still. Oof. Just to tell you a little bit about how the Hawks fared. This team shot 43% from beyond the arc. Taylor Funk, 5 of 11. Ryan Daly, 5 of 11. It seemed like every time Dayton would turn her over, here comes St. Joseph's with a 3. And like I said, 5 of 11, 5 of 11, 4 of 7 for Cameron Brown. And Jordan Hall has 4 of 6. I feel like I recognize Jordan Hall's name, but I don't have a clear path on why that is. 18 made three-pointers out of 42 attempted. I think that was close to 18 to 20 in the segment that I heard on the radio. But yeah, Hawks, just 36 points, Taylor Funk. I think that's a career high for him at St. Joseph's. On the other side for UD, shot 40% from three-point range, 10 made, and 52.5% of the game. But turnover-wise, 13 for the Flyers. To nine on the Hawks. So that definitely doesn't help. And the rebounds. 29 rebounds for St. Joseph's. 31 for the Flyers. St. Joseph's got off to a hot start. And Dayton did get within three. That was kind of it. No leads. According to the stats here. For the Flyers. Jalen Crutcher finished with 17 points. Abby Watson had. 16, 13 for Zimmy Nwokji, and 11 for Mustafa Amzil. Like I said, this year for the Flyers, it's been about consistency. I mean, I, I worked official replay for Dayton and their senior day smashing win against St. Louis, which, by the way, if you follow Dayton MBB on Twitter, you saw that they shared a video of St. Louis head coach Travis Ford tumbling down a hill towards their baseball stadium. Okay, first off, if you're St. Louis, why are you uploading that video? Why are you doing that? <laughs> I can't stop watching it. When it pops up, when I look at Dayton MBB on Twitter, when it pops up, I just watch that video for like 10 minutes straight. Just like, why did you upload this? I'm not saying Dayton should have shared that. No, I, I think that's fair game, especially when you dismantle St. Louis like that and end their at-large bid dreams. But why would you upload something like that? <laughs> I'm sorry, this is taking the pain away from listening the Flyers get dismantled by a 3-14 and team. 54-38 of the half, 97-84 in the game. So let's look at the standings now. For Dayton, like I said, 12 and 8 overall, 8 and 7 in league play. And some of those losses. LaSalle at 6 and 10, St. Joseph's 2 and 9, and Fordham 2 and 11. So, yeah, three of those losses come to teams at the bottom of the table. Oof. If the season were to end today, 
Dayton would be, what would that be? One, two, three, four, five, six, seventh seed in the A-10 tournament. Right now, you got a tie for first, St. Bonaventure and VCU. Guess where the Flyers head to next? If you said St. Bonaventure and Olean, New York, you would be correct. And that's scheduled for March the 1st, so a Monday game. Time to be determined, according to this. So, yeah. How do you come back from a loss like that to a team that's been at the bottom at the table and just... It just that loss, you know, stung for me. I know it stung for Flyer Faithful out there. You don't have to tell me that. And then, you know, hearing it on local radio, first time I've heard local sports quite some time, saying how Dayton's a bad team and everything. It's like, no, it's just inconsistency. You know, I wasn't expecting the same run that the Flyers had last year. I wasn't. But we're talking about losses at Fordham, at home against LaSalle, at St. Joseph's. Again, three teams at the bottom of the A-10 table. It hurts. It hurts. I I mean, yes, it's possible Dayton can make a run in the tournament, but it just I mean that that hurts. I know I said it, but hey. Let's talk about women's basketball, where it doesn't hurt so much. Now, yes, Dayton did suffer their first conference loss at home to St. Louis in senior day. However, the Flyers were down, what was it, by 12, 13, something like that? And Lisa Stone, the head coach of St. Louis, she runs a heck of a program at SLU. But Shauna Green runs a heck of a program at Dayton as well. I can remember right after the final buzzer, Coach Green talked to her Flyers, saying, that's a team you're going to face in the championship, and that's a team you're going to beat. Remember that St. Louis was celebrating winning here. Remember that. Tough loss, but those are strong words. I admire that. So Dayton's still on top of the table, but the Flyers 11 and 1, 12 and 2 overall. Fordham right behind the Flyers, the Rams 8 and 2, St. Louis 8 and 3, Richmond 9 and 4 with Rhode Island and VCU. UMass 6 and 4, LaSalle 6 and 9, Davidson 5 and 8, St. Bonaventure 5 and 10, Duquesne 3 and 6, George Washington 4 and 9, St. Joseph's 3 and 9 and George Mason 0 and 13. I remind you for George Mason, this is a team that competed for the top just a couple years back. And seeing the Patriots fall that far? Ugh. So I believe Dayton still has the game at Fordham. Nope, it got postponed. It was supposed to be today. It's postponed. So now the Flyers get Davidson on the 28th, which is a Sunday at 1. So unfortunately, no battle with Fordham. Maybe in the tournament, but we'll talk about that in a little while. Women's basketball, March 10th through the 14th at the Siegel Center in Richmond, Virginia. That is the home of the VCU Rams, short for Virginia Commonwealth University. But most of the time, I don't think VCU likes people knowing it's Virginia Commonwealth. I don't know if it's that, but you'd never hear people say Virginia Commonwealth. But then again, I don't like abbreviations, you know? So the first round starts March the 10th. Second round goes March 11th. 
March 12th is the quarterfinals. March 13th is the semis, and the championship will be hoisted March 14th, all at the Siegel Center at the home of the VCU Rams. And now we move on. We're getting some action in this episode. We're talking about the Miami Red Hawks. Well, by the way, 2021 football schedule's out in the Mid-American Conference. We'll try to go back to that because I know Chuck Martin's going to have a very good Red Hawks team again. Let's go to the standings. If I can find them in here. Oh, yeah, I forgot. It's on the bottom of the page. My fault. Toledo still leads the back at 13-3. and Akron 12-3. and Kent State 11-5. Ohio 7-4. and Buffalo 8-5. Bowling Green 8-7. and Tied with Miami. Man, the Falcons have really fallen off. Or is that just me? I remember them being on top of the bracket. No, it looks like a six-game losing streak will do that to you. Start off with a loss to Akron, the loss at Miami, where the Red Hawks soared over the Falcons. I think it was coming home from a Carlisle Indians game that night. A loss to Kent State, Toledo, and Western Michigan at home. And a loss at Kent State before the Falcons snapped it and got a win at Toledo and a win at Ball State. But we're not talking about Bowling Green. We're talking about Miami here. Let's talk about the Red Hawks, 8-7 with Bowling Green and 11-9 overall. Coach Jack Owen's squad, three games left in the regular season and one at home at Millette Hall. It'll be Kent State coming in on the 27th after Miami took down Western Michigan, 74-66. I believe that win for Miami locked up a spot to Cleveland for the Red Hawks. Home game against Kent State, where the Golden Flash just defeated Miami in Kent, 77-68. A game at Bowling Green, where I'm sure the Falcons are looking to extract a little revenge from their 96-77 drubbing in Oxford. And at Akron, a team that the Red Hawks fell just short, 83-76. So, still a lot of time to be made. The Red Hawks, like I mentioned, three games left before the tournament at Rocket Mortgage and three wins would put them at 11 and 7 so I think there's no chance well I think I know there's no chance of the Red Hawks claiming the MAC title from Toledo or Akron but you know, finish the regular season on a high note then go through the tournament by the way, after Miami, it's six and eight Ball State, three and ten Western Michigan, two and ten Central Michigan, one and eight Eastern Michigan, and one and ten Northern Illinois. Now let's talk about women's basketball. Remember last week I said the Red Hawks were last in the tournament, or not the tournament, the standings, and the Red Hawks are two and fifteen, three and eighteen overall. What do the Red Hawks have left women's basketball style? Two game, uh, three games left. Excuse me. After coming off an eighty four sixty three loss at home to Akron, on the twenty seventh, Kent State visits the Red Hawks, and then two road games remaining at Buffalo, and then it's the Bow of the Bricks, March sixth. I believe the Mac caps it off. Forget what. There's an article and it went away. Just videos. I don't want videos. Let's go to the basketball tournament story. 
to tell you. Conference membership has approved the automatic qualifier for conference to be awarded to the team that wins the conference tournament championship. That makes sense. Oh, it's talking about if the tournament can't be held in Cleveland. Now, if the MAC is unable to crown a tournament champion, the automatic qualifier will go to the regular season champ as determined by conference regular season record. If there's a tie between two or more teams, then the approved tiebreaker will be used. And if the regular season champ can't be the automatic qualifier because of COVID, then it'll go to the second place team. And the second place can't do it, third or so on, until the automatic qualifier is filled. Now, it's not likely, but, you know, if everyone gets COVID, then you're the last one standing, then there you go. The Women's Conference Tournament bracket will be announced March 6th, men's March 5th, and seeds will be going by the regular season record, utilizing tiebreakers to settle ties. If a team is forced to opt out because of COVID, the next seeded team will be added to the tournament field and sees adjusted according to which team had to opt out. After the bracket is released, should a team be unable to move? No fights the conference, no later than 48 hours prior to the first game. Team will be removed from the bracket. Remaining teams will be reseeded. And after the 48 deadline has passed, team can't compete. The opponent will advance the next round via no contest rule and no reseeding happens. Teams finishing within the top four of the regular season standings must continue testing if eliminated from conference tournament to ensure eligible participation from the NCAA tournament should teams ahead of them be unable to participate. Let's go on the championship side. I think it was, I saw it was top 10, but I'm not sure. I think it's top eight. Here's the bracket for 2021. It is the top eight seed, so it looks like Miami will not be making the trip to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, although the men, I believe, are able to. If I can find that one more time. There we go. Men's basketball. And the bracket looks like this. And it's eight seeds in Cleveland as well. And that's your look at the Miami Redhawks as we head south to talk Cincinnati and Xavier. We start off with the Bearcats, the American Athletic Conference, starting with women's basketball. Cincinnati 4-12 and on the year in conference play and 5-15 and overall. Right now on top are the South Florida Bulls at 11-0 and UCF 10-1. So it looks like Florida's got that locked down the American, followed by Houston 11 and 4, Tulane 11 and 6, Temple 9 and 6, East Carolina 5 and 9, Tulsa 4 and 11, there's UC 4 and 12, Memphis 2 and 8, Wichita State 1 and 9, and SMU hasn't played in quite some time. They're 0 and 2. As we look at the championships, scroll on down. The women's basketball tournament will be at Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth, Texas. Along with the men's basketball tournament, women will play March 8th through the 11th, and the men will play March 11th through the 14th in Fort Worth, Texas. Women's basketball tournament looks something like this. That's a beautiful facility in Fort Worth from the picture. It's the 2021 Air Force Reserve American Athletic Conference Women's Basketball Championship schedule. That was a lot to say. And the first round happens Monday, March 8th. Ninth seed gets the eighth seed, and the tenth seed gets the seventh seed. Both those will be on ESPN+. Plus. The quarterfinals will be number five versus number four. 
Whoever wins against number eight and nine will take on number one. And whoever wins game two, number seven versus number ten, gets number two. And then game six is three versus six. All these on ESPN Plus until the final. The semis have winners of game three and game four, game five and game six and the other one, and then your championship. And then we look at the men's side of things, March 11th through the 14th. The first round is Thursday, March 11th, 8th versus 9th at noon, and then 7 versus 10, game 2. Game 3 is 6 versus 11, quarterfinals. By the way, the first round, all on ESPNU. Quarterfinals are on ESPN2 and shared on ESPNU. Games 4 and 5 are on 2. Games 6 and 7 on the U. And then semifinals go on ESPN2. And the final goes on ESPN. And now we'll talk about men's basketball. Loaded up there, the standings. Wichita State on top of Houston, 9-2 to Houston's 12-3. That's got to be winning percentage. Cincinnati, like I mentioned, one time dead last, now fifth. It's nice to see the Bearcats roll along like that. It looked like it was going to be a tough season, but the Bearcats have been playing strong, with the exception of the Houston game. But, you know, the Cougars are ranked number six, so, hey, there you, what are you going to do? Uh, so the winning percentage is the culprit of Wichita State going the first place. This is all after Greg Marshall left because of the the findings and the uh, accusations, rather, against him. The Shockers are just rolling along, 9-2. and two. Winning percentage at 81.8% to Houston's 80% at 12-3. and three. Then you got Memphis, 9-3, and three, SMU, 7-4, and four, Cincinnati, 6-5, and five, Tulsa, 7-8, and eight, UCF, 6-10, and 10, USF, 4-7, and seven, Tulane and Temple, 4-10, and 10, East Carolina, 2-8. and eight. And what's left for the Bearcats, who are 8-8 eight eight overall? Well, there is a little bit of news we need to talk about. But four games left, three of them and the beautiful Queen City. Tulane, Memphis, SMU, and a trip to East Carolina. So, COVID's still a thing. You and I know this. And the Bearcats have had a couple of players that opted out for safety. I get that. It's not an easy decision. And it's not on GoBearCats.com. Although I will say, with the COVID cases going down, the state has allowed increased capacity in arenas. Fifth Third Arena is one of those. Maybe it's at Cincinnati.com, the home of the Cincinnati Inquirer. David DeJulius has opted out while we wait for the article to load, maybe. And he's a transfer from Michigan. And David Julius said on an Instagram post, it's gotten to a point where I can't fight no hide anymore. That's a big loss, too, for Cincinnati as well. I like the play of David Julius, and I thought he fit in quite well. But you know, sometimes you got to you know, rebound from this. It's... It's part of playing sports. So DeJulius came in, started all 16 games, played nearly 510 minutes of basketball, shot about 19% from beyond the arc, but 
36% overall. To Julius averaging 10 points a game. 5.1 rebounds per game. 73 assists as well. So yeah, pretty important piece, but he's taking care of himself. So I definitely hope that we see more of David Julius when he's ready to go. If that's next year, so be it. I think he's got another year of eligibility. Let's check that real quick. From Detroit, Michigan, East English Village. Like I mentioned, a transfer from Michigan. Played with the Wolverines 2018-19 and 2019-20. Man, just look at that. His birth year. Ooh, I feel super old. I'm 11 years older than him. I don't like thinking about that. But like I said, great player. And you know what? It's a tough decision. So definitely, you know, certainly hope he'll be okay. And now that'll give us a segment to go to the Big East. Are we talking about Northern Kentucky when we were talking about the Horizon League? And it's time to talk Big East hoops. Now, Xavier, they had a tough loss after defeating Butler. 5-5 five and five in the conference. And they're looking like one of the last four in. So they're looking for a big and at-large bid. I don't know why I was thinking big bid. I don't know why. Uh, Providence, rather. I thought it was Creighton for some reason. Creighton's next at home against Xavier on the 27th of 5. 83-68. The Friars fry up the Musketeers. Not funny? Well, I can't hear you laugh. You live in a different house. Like I mentioned, the Musketeers had a nice home win against Butler, 63-51. That snapped a two-game losing streak, but the Muskies have lost three of the last four. What's left for the men's basketball Musketeers? I mentioned home against Creighton, and then two road games at Georgetown and at Marquette. The full standings look something like this. Marquette 6-10. and ten. That's a different look for the Golden Eagles. Normally they're fighting along with Creighton Seton Hall towards the top against Villanova. Providence 8-9. By winning percentage, they're about 29% points down, or 2.9% points down from Xavier, who's at 500. You got Villanova 10-2, Creighton 13-4, Seton Hall 10-6, UConn 8-6. They're the Musketeers 5-5. St. John's Providence 8-9, Georgetown 5-8, Marquette 6-10, Butler 6-11, DePaul 2-11. Let's look at... Will there be a championship bracket? There's nothing like that in the Big East site. A little surprising since we are getting close to view all championships. Let's look at that. I like some of the logos that Big East do with their logo and then whatever the the sport is. So this is the Madison Square Garden hosted 2021 Men's Basketball Tournament. That'll be March 10th through the 13th. No link yet, but at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Uncasville, Connecticut. I thought that was Stores, Connecticut, but whatever. There's the Women's Basketball Tournament. Let's look at the Tournament Central. The tournament information reads that it will be presented by Jeep. 
at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut beginning this year, which the conference announced in September the 1st. This will span this year, 2022 and 2023, after the Big East completing a three-year run at the Wind Trust Arena in Chicago, Illinois. The Big East move to the Mohegan Sun Arena follows the recent adding of UConn, a charter member school of the Big East, forming in 1979 and then rejoining in 2020. The 11-time national champion Huskies spent the last seven years in the American Athletic Conference, winning all seven women's basketball league tournaments and going 118-0 in conference action. Yeah, UConn's good. No fan access this year, unfortunately. You can follow the action. and There's broadcast information. And the first round is all on Flow Sports, which I know if you watched FC Cincinnati and Flow Sports, you're screaming at the top of your head, Aah! which I get from what the horror stories are. It's the Big East Digital Network on Flow Sports. And it'll be 8 versus 9. 7 versus 10 and 6 versus 11. Your quarterfinals will move to FS1 and FS2. Your number one seed gets the game one winner. So UConn, most likely. This is women's basketball. 4 and 5 on FS2 with 2 versus the game two winner, 7 and 10. And the winner of 6 and 11 gets the number three seed on FS2. Semifinals move to FS1 and then the finals on FS1 as well. I think the Mohegan Sun Arena is where the Connecticut Sun play. That's the Women's National Basketball Association team. At least I think that's the correct place. So 10 teams make it. Actually, excuse me, 11 teams make it. The Big East reserves the right to adjust the schedule. We look at the full standings, and this will wrap up our D1 look on college basketball. Xavier currently... 1-7, and, and tied by winning percentage with Butler at 2-14. and 14. UConn, top of the mountain, 16-0. Marquette, 14-3. DePaul, 10-4. Villanova, 9-4. Seton Hall, 9-5. Creighton, 6-8. 5-11, St. John's. Providence, 4-9. Georgetown, 2-13. There's Butler. There's Xavier. Is that 11 schools? Let's count them down. Yes, it is. So everyone makes it in the Big East. So there you go. That's your look at the standings in women's basketball. And that wraps up college basketball in a nice and neat, tidy package. This college baseball is back. And you know what? I love this time of year where things... Just fall out from winter. You can go outside and enjoy it. And just, I love it. I love announcing college baseball. And hopefully, we have ourselves great seasons here in Southwest Ohio. Now, of course, in the beginning of college baseball season in the northern part of the United States, most of the teams head south or west depending on you know who they get to play, of course. But that shouldn't stop your enthusiasm for college baseball returning, because you know what that means. With college baseball returning, it's going to be warmer. It's going to be nicer. It's going to be sunnier. We can be outside and not have like a billion trillion layers on. 
Okay, I'm excited about that. Your experience might vary. So, again, we're covering all six schools that have college baseball, and then we'll talk about college softball. Unfortunately, that number slims down from four to three. Miami, UD, and Northern Kentucky have the sport. Wright State, Cincinnati, Xavier do not. I'm praying Wright State gets it back eventually, but we'll see how that goes. We will start down south at Norfolk, Kentucky with college baseball. And the Norse have themselves a 1-2 and two record. They were at East Tennessee State University as the Norse fell 10-3 to in the first game, 3-2 to in the second game, but 4-3 to in the third game, resulting in a win for NKU. Now, last year, I know, cut short, but Norfolk, Kentucky was dead last in the entire Division I ranks in ERA, meaning the pitching staff gave up the most earned runs of every school out there. But in the win, it was Nick Noble pitching five innings of two-earned run, four-hit baseball, with Bryce Smith following up two-thirds of an inning, just one hit, two walks. And Tyler Ollier, Pitching a save and three and a third. One earned run, two hits in that time. Very nice pitching by the three Norse. As a stutter harder Townsend for ETSU. Went three and a third, gave up four earned runs. Zero hits, five walks. Did strike out four. For Nick Noble, the starter, he struck out three. Tyler Ollier struck out three. And his three and a third to close out the game. Again, Norfolk, Kentucky went 1-2 and two at East Tennessee State. And next up, four games at Belmont. Two doubleheaders. No, I beg your pardon. That just looks so weird because normally when you have doubleheader, you just have it as one spot. It's a doubleheader at Belmont and then a doubleheader at Lipscomb, all in Nashville. So the Bruins and Norse battle on the 26th, that's today. At 4 and 7, our time. And Lipscomb will await Norfolk, Kentucky on the 27th, Saturday, at 1 and 4. And then Horizon League play starts. Guess where Norfolk, Kentucky gets to go? Wright State. Now this year, the Horizon League slate looks a little bit different, as does the A-10. We'll touch on that later. Instead of three conference games, you normally have it Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Friday, Saturday, Saturday with a doubleheader. It's going to be Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday. Four games. I'm not entirely sure why that is. I'd love to know the reason on it, but it's going to be four games of conference play in Horizon League and A-10. So that's your look at Northern Kentucky. We'll sweep on to softball since NKU is one of three teams to offer the sport. And softball starts about a week before college baseball does and same thing if you're in the northern part of the states you go where it's warmer obviously or if you're lucky enough to find a bubble you'll go there so the first tournament that Norfolk Kentucky was supposed to be part of by first tournament I mean it's at Louisville Kentucky doesn't say it's a tournament it was two games at Bellarmine a new D1 foe I think it's Bellarmine no one's corrected me yet and two games against Central Michigan that got wiped out so, nothing yet for NKU. Next scheduled tournament will be, actually this morning at 10, right now, 
against Central Michigan of the Tennessee Invitational, which features the Chippewas of CMU, the Illinois State Redbirds, UT Martin, the Skyhawks, and the host Tennessee Volunteers. That's what's on tap for Norfolk, Kentucky. In fact, in the stats, bomb in the second, it's 2-2. Your score, Norfolk, Kentucky, the home team, and they tie it up with Central Michigan. So what starts Horizon League play? Well, it looks like softball is doing about the same as baseball with four games over a weekend. And Norfolk, Kentucky will host Green Bay for four, at Oakland for four. Wow, those are giant logos for ESPN3 and ESPN+. Plus. However, there's just two games at Youngstown State and then four games at home against Cleveland State. Does Youngstown State play later? Yes, but four games at NKU. That's weird. I, I Like I said, I hope Wright State gets softball again. I love softball. It's a great sport. And we had a great team at Wright State, too. Norman Kentucky's got a nice team as well. So it'll be nice to see you know, how NKU fares. I know as a Wright State alum, I shouldn't say that, but I have a podcast covering local sports. So get off my case. Let's go to Cincinnati. They don't have softball, the Bearcats. They got baseball, though. Let's talk about baseball, UC. 0-3 start for the Bearcats. They fell at Clemson all three times. 5-0 in the first game, 5-2 in the second, and 8-7 in 10 innings to get swept by the Tigers. That's not a bad result. I mean, depending on what your, your look on blowouts are in baseball, I think it's, you know, 8 you know, when people start saying, well, I wish there was a run rule in college baseball, be quiet. There isn't, and there shouldn't be. I think eight or more deserves a run or deserves a blowout title. And you know what? Bearcats battled hard with Clemson. A good SEC fit. Wait, SEC or ACC? ACC. Excuse me. It's getting confused there. I get the two confused. And I don't know why. ACC. But still a good baseball program. Celebrate their college baseball very well down there in Clemson. The Bearcats battled hard. Unable to get a win, but the next step for Cincinnati, they get to go to Bowling Green, Kentucky to take on the Hill Climbers of Western Kentucky. Then a four-game series at UNC Wilmington before the first home games of the year against Western Michigan, a three-game series at UC Baseball Stadium. I forgot it's no longer March Sauce Stadium, which I do appreciate. But I thought they were going to name it something else. I don't know. And then you get UC Xavier later on in March. Two games at UC, two games at Xavier. And it spans four days. I like that. The first two will be at UC Baseball Stadium Thursday the 18th and Friday the 19th of March at 4. And then at 3 p.m. Saturday and Sunday, it'll be at Xavier at Hayden Field. Incidentally, the first AAC series won't happen until April, which is very late for conference play. Normally, you get that stuff started in March. But April the 1st, that's where UC travels to Greenville, North Carolina, to take on ECU for four. So again, four games in conference play. I mean, I'm not complaining it's more college baseball, but I don't know. Just 
I don't know. So UC is 0-3. Again, no softball. Let's talk about Xavier baseball. Let's pull up that schedule and tell you the Musketeers are 2-1. and They took a series at Texas A&M, 10-6 and 2-0 to sweep the doubleheader, but falling 15-0 in the second game. Or the third game, rather. Only game on Sunday. So, yeah, Musketeers. That's a good series win at Texas A&M. They're a good fit in Big 12. Right? Big 12? Sure, let's say Big 12. So what's next for Xavier? They'll head to Wolford for four, then at Auburn for four, at Mercer for three, and then the series against Cincinnati, the first home games, will be against the Bearcats, March 20th, March 21st. And actually, the times are different on here instead of what UC listed. Xavier lists 2 o'clock against Cincinnati on the 20th, 1 o'clock on the 21st. And then league play starts for Xavier. Not until April 9th. So again, a late start down Cincinnati. It'll be a trip to St. John's for Xavier. First home series will be against Butler at Hayden Field, April 16th through the 18th. So now we move to Miami. We talk about the Red Hawks. Again, they have softball. We're going to talk about softball first before we head to baseball. The Red Hawks are 1-3 so far. They fell in a doubleheader in Mississippi State, 10-9 and 10-3. Unable to complete the three-game series because of weather. And then the Red Hawks split the series at the University of Tennessee. 7-3 loss, 2-0 win to close out that nightcap. And now the Red Hawks fly to Georgia Tech for two today, starting at four on ESPN3. And then the first home game for the Red Hawks will be March 19th to open up Mid-American play against Western Michigan University. And then home against Central Michigan for four in the middle, a non-conference tilt at the University of Dayton. Well, that would have been a nice segue to talk about UD, but I planned it where we talk about baseball next. The Red Hawks are 3-1. and one. I tell you, past few years, Red Hawk baseball has been strong. So, the three wins happened in a row. It was a sweep in the hands of the Red Hawks at Jacksonville University. 4-1, to 8-4, and 5-2. to two. And then the Red Hawks fell a little short to Kentucky in Lexington, 5-1. to one. I saw this on ScoreStream. Someone actually updated it. Thank you. Yeah, Kentucky's normally pretty darn ace in college baseball. In fact, normally around here, you'll see a lot of road trips to Kentucky if they want to strengthen their schedule. So, nice start. Nice start for the Red Hawks. What's next? A trip to Florida International University in Miami for four. See, I like how Miami does it. The DH is listed as one spot, not two. That just confuses me. If you want to say first game of the doubleheader, fine, but don't confuse me. I just feel like an idiot. And then I think there's a tournament in Conway, South Carolina to open up March for Miami against UConn, Coastal Carolina. It'll be at Coastal Carolina and Davidson College. That at Memphis for three. And then first home game at Mackay Field at Hayden Park against Toledo for four. And then Northern Kentucky, or excuse me, Northern Illinois comes in. Then Eastern Michigan. And there is no segue between Wright State Dayton. It might happen later, but right now. No Miami battle between UD or Wright State. 
which is weird. Hey, how about UD? I mentioned softball, so let's stick with it. For softball, we'll start there first for the Flyers. 0-2 start thus far. They fell on 9 to USC Upstate, 3-2 in the first game, and 5-2 in the second, so close losses. Couldn't play NC Central. I believe it was weather-related. Could not get the series at Belmont going. That got canceled, which is a shame because that would have been Laura Matthews' first look at UD against, well, with the Belmont Bison, Bruins. Yeah, I knew I was going to do that. Belmont High School in Dayton are the Bison. Belmont University are the Bruins in Nashville, Tennessee. I know that. It's just easy to screw up because both teams have a B for their nickname. So what's next for Dayton softball? Tonight's field, Bellarmine will host a Bellarmine Classic. It'll be Knights versus Flyers first, IUPUI in the mix, and Bellarmine to close out the tournament. Now to Middle Tennessee State University Invitational, March 12th, a doubleheader at Kentucky, and then one game against Miami. And then A-10 play starts later in March with four games at home against St. Bonaventure. Then four games at St. Louis. And now we talk about baseball. These next two teams, Dayton Baseball, Wright State Baseball, are the teams I'm going to see the most. And this is where I'm going to talk about the most. So UD Baseball should be a great year. Picked to finish third in the Atlantic 10. And the Flyers, 0-3. They got swept by number 18, South Carolina. 12-1 in the first game, 12-5 in the second, 5-1 in the third. And again, like I said for the previous games, you know, when you face seven opponents, normally you try to go for the ranked teams. You know what? It's okay. USC's got a great baseball team, great history with the Gamecocks. Although not the true USC. Fight on, Southern Cal. Anyway, the Flyers, so far 0-3. They start up a series at Campbell on the 26th at 1. Then Saturday at 3, Sunday at noon. First home game for the Flyers will be March 5th against the Oakland Golden Grizzlies. Now, my schedule lists that it's supposed to be a doubleheader that Friday against the Golden Grizzlies of the Horizon League. By the way, no longer have two head coaches. I know I'm sad about it, too. I don't know how it worked, and obviously it didn't because there's now just one head coach. But that's a nice series to start off with. Nice home beginning for UD. And then the next weekend of March, four games against North Dakota State. Originally, I think it was supposed to be Merrimack, but it changed into the Bison of North Dakota State. Then Central Michigan in for four. And then Kent State in for two to close out March and the home slate there. No, I'm sorry. There's one game in March to close out the month, Tuesday the 30th against Akron and Chris Sabo's Zips team. I still can't believe there's a former Red leading college baseball team. And I have to miss that game because I have a prior engagement. But very excited to see what this Dayton team can do. However, I will say the company that sponsors the stadium at UD no longer exists. Well, okay, it does. It's renamed. So Dayton Power and Light, you know them if you're in the Dayton area. They power and light your home. And then you pay them lots of money for it and... You know, it could be extravagant, but I'm not talking about that. DPNL is now known as AES Ohio. 
And I think AES is primarily in Columbus, but now they absorb DPNL. A world without Dayton power and light. Just feels weird. You know? It just feels weird. I don't know. But we'll still get electricity. We don't have to go back to candles yet. Which is a good thing, because how would I continue this podcast? And then how will we have a sports show that talks nothing but Ohio State and bashing the Flyers and Bengals? Oh, I don't know. But there you go. So, can't wait to see Coach Jason King's team again. That's happening next weekend, maybe. Now, if we have this weather like this, I certainly hope it will. I'm excited. And last up, Wright State University Baseball. Let's pull up that schedule. The Raiders, it took a while for the Raiders to face number two Vanderbilt, but it finally happened. Yeah, you can thank weather again in Asheville. The Raiders fell to number two Vanderbilt, 14-1 and one nothing. You know, I saw on Twitter a bunch of fans like, rip Wright State. I feel bad for Wright State. Why'd you schedule this Wright State? You're facing the top two pitchers coming up in the draft, Wright State. Rip Shut up. Do you think Wright State didn't know that? Just like, oh, let's look through the little catalog of teams and everything. Oh, Vanderbilt. That sounds like a neat name. Let's go there. No. Wright State picked Vanderbilt because they wanted to start off strong. My God. (laughs) Rip Wright State. Sorry, Wright State. What's a Wright State? It's not a state. (laughs) Wright State wrong school. (laughs) That went a little too far, didn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, I can't stand when... I just can't stand it. I, Yes, I get it. Vanderbilt's the number two team in the country. I get it. But you know what? Wright State won the challenge, and they got it. The first game might have gotten away from the Raiders, but that second game, Raiders were in it. And they lost by one run. One. Yeah, rip. Rip yourself or something. I don't know. Anyway, let's calm down. So what's next for Wright State? A three-game series at Alabama before Horizon League play starts. March the 5th against that team down south. No, I'm sorry. I always save that for that school in Columbus. I gotta stop saying that school in Columbus. It's that team in Columbus. Let's be real. Because, you know, they don't go to play school. They go to play football. So, yeah, four-game series against Northern Kentucky to start off at Nishwood Stadium, and then a four-game series against Youngstown State at Nishwood Stadium. Raiders picked to win the whole kit and caboodle in the Horizon League. And in fact, if we go to baseball, there's probably a story about that. That's a weird loading screen for Wright State. That's just, I don't know. Can I pull that up? Well, let's see more stories. I'm sure I can. There we go. Wright State picked to win the Horizon League. It's Wright State, UIC, Youngstown State picked to finish third. That's the first time in a while that I've seen Youngstown State pick to finish that high. In fact, it might be a first time. Followed by Milwaukee, Purdue, Fort Wayne, Oakland, and NKU. So let me tell you about Purdue, Fort Wayne. I mentioned last year, Northern Kentucky was dead last in ERA. Purdue, Fort Wayne, a couple years back, they weren't so hot either. In fact, I could tell you about I think it was our home opener at UD against Purdue Fort Wayne. Flyers won at nine to one. Yeah, it was a pretty nice day for UD. 
for Purdue Fort Wayne to be picked in front of Oakland NKU? That's saying something. But it's just a preseason poll. So Wright State picked up seven first place votes. All seven went to Wright State, which I didn't think you could vote for yourself, but there you go. 49 votes for Wright State, followed by UIC's 38, Youngstown State 34, Milwaukee 31, then Purdue Fort Wayne 17, Oakland 14, and NKU 13. Mentions that Tyler Black was the 2019 Horizon League Freshman of the Year, returning for 2021. Connor Piotto will be behind the dish after hitting 333 in limited time last year. Garrig Anglin got 11 RBI and 7 extra base hits last year in 15 games. So, again, I'm proud of these teams that scheduled tough to get their season underway. Dayton with South Carolina. Wright State with Vanderbilt, now Alabama. You know? I'm not saying rip Wright State or I feel bad for the Raiders for doing that. And yes, those pitchers, solid and definitely worthy of top of the draft. Though a lot of people were deciding between Rocker and Lighter. Some people like Lighter just because, yes, the son of Al Lighter. You know, that pitcher that ended the Reds' dreams in the playoffs back in 1999. Some say his form. I mean, Lighter got the triple digits on a couple pitches stayed high in the nineties. So, you know, like I said, if you want to be the best, you got to play the best. If you want to beat the man, you got to beat the man. If you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. If you want to beat the man, then you beat the man. So there we go. And that's your look at college baseball and softball in the Cincinnati Dayton, Ohio area. Gabringer. You might remember a long time ago, Chuck Gabringer came on the podcast to talk about his book, Hockey in Dayton, a wonderful book for any hockey fan that loves Dayton, Ohio, by the way. If you can find it, pick it up. You won't be disappointed. So Chuck Gabringer, over the years, has went around and talked about his book, talked about the experiences he's had. And it's a lot of fun. I, I recommend going back and listening to that interview because, like I said, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing that interview. But then again, there hasn't been an interview I haven't enjoyed doing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be released. Get what I'm saying? So this is from Chuck Gamerigger. This is a couple days ago. By a couple days, I mean six. <clears throat> and he writes on Facebook, A little self-promotion never hurt anyone. I'll post this to the Long Live Dayton Hockey page as well as he'll be talking about hockey in Dayton on March 22nd during an online program hosted by the Centerville Washington Township Library. I'll discuss how I put the book together, why I put it together, why I'm working on another one, and throw in a little Dayton hockey history too, with some stories from long-ago interviews that I've not shared. I've done a couple this year already, and as many as you know, I could talk about this stuff all night. And I know many of you can too. This will be fun. Sign up through the library website at www.wclibrary.info. So yeah, like I mentioned, Chuck Chuck Gamebringer, great friend. And yeah, I love the book Hockey in Dayton. And he's talking about writing a sequel, which I can't wait. Now hopefully the sequel contains Dayton Demons and Dayton Demolition, 
because that you know is the last chapter so far of Dayton Pro Hockey. Will we get another pro hockey team in town? I certainly hope so, but you know, we'll wait and see. So hockey in Dayton, hopefully I have it nearby. It's a great book. And like I said, you can find it online and get it, you know, Amazon. Uh, the Huber Heights Walgreens had it back when the Dayton Demons existed. Not sure if they still do. But yeah, I recommend that book. And hearing Chuck Gabringer talk about hockey, it's it's awesome. Now, he does a great job. He he's got passion for it. And you know, he knows his stuff. He was part of the name the team contest that gave us the Dayton Gems 1.0. And he got season tickets out of that from what I remember. So he's a fabric. He's part of the fabric of Dayton hockey history. So definitely, I would go. Uh, I have a better website. It's WC. Let's just click on it. WCLibrary.info is the main site. And what you want to do when you go to that website. Okay, hang on. WCLibrary.info. When you go there, it takes you to the library home of Washington Centerville Public Library. That's Washington Township. You want to go... Where do you want to go? Let's find out together. So go towards the middle of the page where it says programs and events. Give that a click and it pops up. And then it takes you to a calendar on the new tab. Maybe a new window, depending on how you do the internet. And while there's February, there's a couple events left, but not a lot of days left. Go to March. I said the 22nd. That's a Monday. And then you see 7 o'clock author event, Chuck Gabringer. Hockey and Dayton. You click it, and it finally pops up. A little window talking about the event. You do have to sign up for it. Registration is open, but it's free. You don't have to pay anything for it. How do I sign up for it? Go to view more down below, and you can register for the event. And I'm doing so right now. Hopefully, I don't have... Anything that day, but knowing me, I probably have like 10 billion things and I just don't remember it. You enter in your name, your phone number, your email address, your email address that you want to be reminded for. And then you get how many days do you want to be reminded before the event. Then you submit it and then you have to verify your email address which it's just go to your email provider, click on it. It's like, oh, it's verified. So you can do that all your own. So there you go. And then you got to hit verify, then you verify it. So there you go. You can register to hear Chuck Gamberger talk about hockey in Dayton, Ohio. Also, the sequel to the book, which I, I can't wait because... There's a lot of stuff that's covered in the first book, but if Chuck is bringing up interviews from, you know, from back in the day, that'd be pretty cool. My one request for Chuck Gamebringer, if he's listening to this podcast, which everyone should, let's be real, have a broadcaster section. And no, not just for me. <laughs> but think about it. Lyle Steak was a big voice in Dayton, and then he got caught with hookers or something like that, and he did something bad. He broke the law. 
And there's me. There's J.D. Zabo. He'd be a great interview. He's now in Troy broadcasting Troy High School Hockey on Facebook Live. Uh, unfortunately, Kevin O'Boyle is no longer with us. I'm trying to think of the other broadcasters for the Bombers. B-Man be a fantastic interview. You know, the longtime PA announcer for Dayton Pro Hockey. I'm trying to think who else. I mean, you know, that'd be a great segment to have. So definitely looking forward to it. Again, it's free, but it requires a WebEx invitation. So you go to that website, you do what I told you, and you can sign up for it. Again, Chuck Gamebringer's next event, talking about hockey in Dayton and the possible sequel to his book, Hockey in Dayton 2, More Hockey in Dayton. Working title, of course. And now we wrap up with 2021 schedules for not one, not two, but three teams. Now, remember last episode, or last week rather, I mentioned there's going to be a new USL League 2 team in Cincinnati. And the Cincinnati Dutch Lions are no longer a thing, which is a little sad, but stuff happens. COVID has not been kind to anyone. Let's be honest. So your new USL League 2 team will call Cincinnati, Ohio home and be the Kings Hammer FC. So Kings Hammer has been around as an organization. I think mostly for youth hockey. There was a Cincinnati Kings indoor and outdoor team once upon a time. Very long time ago. I mean, beginning of the 2010 decade. So, new team in Cincinnati, new rivalry with the Dayton Dutch Lions. I can't wait. You can follow them on Twitter at Kings Hammer. And the schedule is already out. Something to tell you about Kings Hammer. They're not playing in Northern Kentucky. They're back at Xavier University. By back, I mean USL League 2 is technically back at Xavier U. Love that pitch. Now, if you have to work... Save your soccer. You don't have a press box. You have a press awning, and that's kind of it. But it's a wonderful field, artificial turf, great location. So, yeah, I like that. So Dayton-Kings Hammer rivalry will be quite alive. And we'll start by talking about the Kings Hammer 2021 USL League 2. In case you don't know, this is soccer. And in case you don't know, USL League 2 is basically summer collegiate soccer. So mostly college soccer kids looking to, you know, bring up their stats or, you know, get ready for the MLS Super Draft. But we'll start off with the Kings Hammer schedule. Then we'll talk about the Dayton Dutch Lions schedule. And then hopefully we have the WPSL schedule to talk about soon. That's the women's side of things for Dayton and the Cincinnati Sirens. I don't think Kings Hammer will field a women's team. Be nice, though. So, what do the Kings Hammer start off in their first look at USL League 2? They're at the Dayton Dutch Lions in West Carrollton, Ohio. Well, gotta start a rivalry sometime. Might as well make it the first game of the season. That'll be May 15th. First home game for Kings Hammer will be on the 19th against Kalamazoo FC. 
Your home games followed May 26th against Flint City Bucks. You might remember them as the Michigan Bucks a long time ago in the orange and green. Then you got Toledo Villa FC, which I believe is a newcomer to USL League 2. A foe of the Dayton Dynamo, not conference foe, just a non-conference foe. That'll be June the 4th. June 20th, Oakland County FC comes into Cincinnati. On June 30th, here comes Dayton. July 9th is against Fort Wayne FC. And July 11th, the South Bend Lions. They were supposed to play in 2020, but as you know, not much did. Thanks to COVID. That's your look at the home schedule of the Kings Hammer and the game at Dayton. Again, Kings Hammer on Twitter or Kings Hammer FC on Twitter. There's two accounts. That's a little confusing. But there you go. A pre-professional team listed. And if you're a fan of Brandon Ponchak like I am, you'll be happy to know that he's back. I think he's the GM. And Paul Nicholson, former defender for FC Cincinnati and the former coach of the Cincinnati Dutch Lions, he's back in the same role. So two familiar faces with Cincinnati soccer, and they get a chance to run Kings Hammer FC. Great guys, and I look forward to seeing what Kings Hammer can do. So again, your schedule is there. And there is an interview from Cincinnati Soccer Talk with Paul Nicholson. And like I mentioned in previous episode, they do a nice job of covering soccer in Cincinnati. It's a very exciting time. West End Stadium is going to open. And from the pictures, it looks absolutely beautiful. You got a new USL League Two team. Rose Lavelle still doing work for the U.S. Women's National Team. And they won the second straight She Believes Cup. Even though the United States went on record saying we could do better. I mean, hey, I mean, there's nothing wrong with raising the stakes, but you won the cup, you know? I tell you, if FC, uh, excuse me, not FC, since, well, if Cincinnati could get an NWSL, that's National Women's Soccer League team, into town, which I think they will eventually, first thing to do is sign Rose Lavelle. You just have to. She's the queen of Queen City. Bring her in. Let's reign in Cincinnati. Let's go. Now, I don't know why there's such a long pause, but I seriously hope there's professional women's soccer to go. Cincinnati and Dayton, such a great soccer hotbed. You know, I love being part of college soccer. I love watching it. I think it'll be great. Now let's talk about the Dayton Dutch Lions schedule. They'll be back at Dock Stadium in West Carrollton, Ohio, although the location on the USL League 2 website listed as Dayton, Ohio. Just call it West Carrollton, okay? Anyway, May 15th, Kings Hammer in town. What's weird is the times are listed in Central. Dayton is not a Central time city. Never has been. Hopefully never will. So I believe these are 7 o'clock Eastern times. But Kings Hammer, Dayton, round one, ding, at the dock, May 15th at 7. And then the Dutch Lions will host the South Bend Lions on May 22nd at 7. Kalamazoo FC May 26th at 7. And then June 6th at 7, the Dutch Lions host Toledo Villa FC. 
June 23rd, Flint City Bucks in town at 7. July 2nd, Oakland County FC in town at 7. And July 10th, to close out the regular season at 7, Grand Rapids FC at the dock. So, I'd like to go back to the Great Lakes Division. It's the division that Dayton and the Kings Hammer are part of, of course. Let me tell you about that division. If I can ever find how to go back to it. Why website? Why you why you do this? Let's go to teams. I think that's there we go. Great Lakes Division's in the Central Conference, and the Great Lakes Division has a lot of teams. Let's run down through them. AFC Ann Arbor, Dayton Dutch Lions, Flint City Bucks, Fort Wayne FC, Grand Rapids FC, Kalamazoo FC, Kings Hammer, Oakland County FC, South Bend Lions, Toledo Villa FC. In the Central Conference, that's the most teams in any division. Heartland's got seven. Mid-South has eight. So yeah, let me tell you, Great Lakes is going to be a tough one to win. You got some great teams in there. Unfortunately, I don't see Chicago Unite. What was it? Chicago United FC? There's something in Chicago. I don't see them. Oh, Chicago SC United. They moved back in the Heartland Division. With Des Moines, FC Wichita, Green Bay, Voyagers, Call Valley, Peoria City, and St. Louis Scott Gallagher. Please tell me that's just a misunderstanding. It's not a team just called St. Louis Scott Gallagher. Why don't I have a team named after me? All right, because that's a stupid idea. So anyway, that is a total of 10 teams in the Great Lakes Division. It's going to be tough to win it, but I love seeing the growth. There's so many teams that I recognize from the Dayton Dynamo's time in the NPSL that made the jump to USL2. AFC Ann Arbor, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, Oakland County, I believe, is a new team. South Bend Lions is a new team. Toledo Villa, not from the NPSL. I think they might have spent a year or so. They were in the, oh, what was it? Midwest Premier League, something like that. It's nice to see Toledo Villa FC in the Great Lakes Division and USL too. So what I'm saying is, it should be a fun year watching USL 2 soccer in the area. Dayton, Ohio, Toledo, Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio in the mix. You got your nice mix of Michigan teams, Fort Wayne, Indiana, South Bend, Indiana. Feels like the Midwest League. No? Got your teams in Ohio. You got your Indiana teams, your Michigan teams. I like it. And I can't wait to see what the Dutch Lions can do. You know what? Out of curiosity... Let's see if the WPSL soccer schedule is up. I haven't seen any posts saying that it is. But let's look. Let's look at clubs. Not a lot of options here. Clubs. Clubs. And it just brings up a static video from behind it. Okay, this website looks like it's changed a lot. How about expansion? Nope. It's just saying if you want to fill out an expansion form, you can. If I hit clubs, it just takes me back to the home page. What is that about? You know what? Let's look at 
Team Dutch Lions website. I know, there's one more thing I'd like to talk about. It was announced on TKDS Sports yesterday. There's the 2019 schedule. Let's see if it's updated. It is not. Okay. So, no WPSL schedule yet. But when the Dutch Lions and the Sirens get it, you can listen to this podcast and hear it. Not on Dayton Radio. And finally, we talk about the Dayton Flight. They'll be in their second year of operation. They are in the Basketball League. That's what the league's called. Stop laughing. And this year, the Flight will call Wilberforce University home. As the Flight are HBCU proud. In case you don't know what that meant, that's historically black college and universities. We got two in the area. We're lucky to have those two in Wilberforce and Central State. They represent the Miami Valley quite well, and it's always nice to broadcast at Central State, especially when Wilberforce was, I don't want to say in town, because literally that's like a two-minute drive to campus. And It's such a nice story, too, how Central State grew away from Wilberforce and became their own thing, and Wilberforce is still a thing. And they're getting better, too, so I like seeing that. Once upon a time, Wilberforce had pretty much every sport. But I think they have... They have a lot more than the three when this podcast started. I will say that. But Wilberforce will be home of the Dayton Flight. That is northeast of Xenia. But the flight will be taking on the following teams at home. April 10th is the season opener. And Dayton has Flint United coming in at 7. April 11th at 3 will be the Anderson Aces. I believe that's Anderson, Indiana. On April 23rd, it's round 1 of 3 at home against the Condors of Columbus, formerly the Ohio Bootleggers. That's such a cool logo, too, about the Prohibition ages back in the day. But it's the Condors against the Flight, April 23rd, Friday at 7. Sunday, April 25th at 3, here come the Owensboro, Kentucky Thoroughbreds. April 30th, Flint United back in town at 7. May the 2nd at 3, Detroit Hustle in for the first time of two or three tries. And then you got a little bit of a break between home games. May 28th, the flight return home against the Kokomo Bobcats. And like everything Kokomo, Indiana related, not related to the Beach Boys song, maybe, Bobcats spelled with a K. Because the high school, Kokomo High School, has the Wildcats spelled with a K. Why does that matter? It doesn't. Just I'd share something that I knew with you. May 30th at 3. Here comes Columbus for the second time. June the 4th at 7. Flint United in for the last time. Detroit Hustle come in Saturday, uh, Sunday, rather, June 6th at 3. And then June 25th, Friday at 7. Detroit Hustle for the last time. June 27th, Sunday at 3. The last regular season game, Columbus Condors are in town. Again, you can find this schedule, Dayton Flight Facebook page. Also, TKDS Sports streamed it on YouTube if you'd like to watch that announcement with Brandon Harper. Visit the website, DaytonFlight.com. And Wilberforce University is located at 1055 Bickett Road, Wilberforce, Ohio, 45384. Wilberforce still have their own post office? They used to back in the day. I'm not sure if they do anymore. But on the campus of the Wilberforce Bulldogs, the Dayton Flight looked to soar into the skies in their second year of operations. 
Definitely looking forward to seeing what the flight can do in year two in their sophomore campaign. I think they got a chance to bring a great basketball product to the town after college basketball winds down. I mean, you still have NBA for a while, but Dayton Flight offering Dayton a chance to catch basketball when college basketball and high school basketball are done for the year. So that's your look at the 2021 Dayton Flight schedule. And I believe that'll wrap up episode 205 quite nicely here. Nearly a two-hour package, but that's okay. It's all local sports, so hey, I'm fine with that. So 206, we'll talk more. I would like to get Chuck Gabringer back on the podcast soon. I like to start doing interviews once again. I just need to figure out, oh, when I have free time, you know, because free time always helps. And I, I can't believe we're heading into spring. This is the last week of February, last full week of February, and March starts on Monday. You know what that means? Warmer weather. We spring forward an hour. I think that means we get more sleep. Or that we get less sleep? I don't know. It's not dark at 6. Let's be happy about that. Actually, it's been dark around 6.30 now, but hey, who, who asked that? So that will wrap up 205. I'd like to ask you, if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and tell your friends about it because there's great Cincinnati Dayton sports. And especially up here in Dayton, not all are covered. We cover all here on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. And we'll talk to you again for episode 206. This is Lee W. Mount signing off on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast, your source of local sports. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark SindayPod.com, the official website of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. You can also find the Redbubble and Tee Public shops there too, where all podcast merchandise purchases go to help the podcaster. Follow on social media at Sinday Pod and the Lead W Mowen on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This closing theme was created with the Splash app. This is Lee W Mowen saying thank you again for listening, and we'll talk more local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports next time.